following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Let's open up our Bibles this morning um, to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. Galatians is in the New Testament, a short letter uh, that is written to the Christians. Galatians. Right next to the Corinthians, the first and second Corinthians. We talked a little bit about uh, humility last week. And um, when we're looking at humility, uh, we're going to kind of flip the coin a little here uh, this morning. And we're going to talk about pride. Pride and humility go hand in hand when we're looking at Scripture. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of the great philosophers of just kind of the yesteryear, said, When destruction walks through the land, it casts a shadow. It is in the shape of pride. When honor visits a man's house, it casts its shadow before it. It is the fashion of humility. So we see that kind of what the Proverbs says comes into light here. That pride leads to destruction, but humility really helps us become more like Christ. If we were going to unpack pride, and we think this is a really, really big issue, not only for us as a congregation, but for uh, just where the church is. If the church could understand what pride and humility is really all about, we believe with all of our heart that marriages would be better, relationships would be better. Uh, We believe that workplaces would be better. We believe uh, that our world would be better. And we believe ultimately that more people would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior if we would understand these things. So what we want to really do here is unpack the significance for you this morning, what we're talking about. We're talking about pride and humility. We unpacked humility last week. Let me kind of run down what pride is. The main Hebrew root word for pride occurs 23 times in the Old Testament. And so we see in the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew, which is the original language, means somebody who is arrogant, somebody who is a uh, pessimist, uh, somebody who is insensitive to the needs of others. Don't raise your hand if you know somebody like that. Okay, because we all know somebody like that, right? Um, if we were to look at that Old Testament passages of Scripture, those 23 times that it kind of comes into light, we would see it's an attitude and a conduct that leads to downfall. So a prideful person, we would see, always has a downfall. If we were to look at that, we would see this guy named Uzziah in Second Chronicles had a downfall. We would see that Nebuchadnezzar, somebody who a lot of our kids know about uh, through Sunday school lessons and things like that, Nawana or, or Clubby, we understand that he had a hardening of heart because he was too prideful. We understand that there is destruction that comes from being prideful. I mean, there's, there's kind of some of these things that just that destruct us, that destroy us. We see that pride makes us seek things for ourselves and seek things not only just for ourselves, but our internal as well as our external self. It brings disgrace. It brings quarrels. 
A lot of problems that you're having, maybe as a Christian, comes because there is an element of pride in your life. If we were to really truly look in the mirror, we would understand that, man, I have some problems in my life because I'm a prideful person in these small pockets. And so we look at it, we realize Jeremiah understood that pride was deceptive. We understood that it brought somebody low. It made somebody humble after they were destroyed. So there's two sides of the coin here. If we were to look in the New Testament, we understand that New Testament makes some parallel claims from the Old Testament. It looks as pride as somebody who is self-conceited or rude. Mark tells us that pride comes from within ourselves. Mark tells us that our pride comes from here. In other words, Mark says uh, that it was those who boasted about themselves instead of God. And, and again, it's hard because a lot of times we start talking about some of this stuff. We're like, man, this is a good sermon for my friend Tim to hear. This is a good sermon for my friend Sharon to hear. But no, 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 church, like focus in just for a second and understand this is a good sermon for you to hear. So look at your neighbor and say, hey, this is a good sermon for you to hear. Man. In the New Testament, we see also that there are arrogant people who are prideful. They're not from Christ. Paul claimed that the proud were people who acted arrogantly toward those who were too weak to retaliate. So let me give you a definition. It's not in your outline, but let me kind of unpack this in a sentence because that's a strong paragraph. Pride is the state where one points to themselves instead of the confidence, the life, and power found in Jesus Christ. Let me give that to you one more time. Pride is a state where one points to themselves instead of the confidence, life, and power found in Jesus Christ. We are prideful when we point to us instead of the confidence, life, and power found in Jesus Christ. It's funny. I usually send over my messages and I put in the next paragraph of my message that I think pride is the greatest sin. Jonathan sent me my message back and he says, I don't know if I would say pride is the greatest sin or not. So when Jonathan leaves next week, I'm going to tell you that pride is the greatest sin. (laughs) If I were to kind of look at that a little bit, I would say it's the most dangerous sin because it puts ourselves in a position where God should be. And we do this on an everyday basis. We focus on ourselves instead of Jesus. And the only time pride is a positive trait is when we have a a high opinion of Jesus Christ, who is God, instead of ourselves. We take pride in our Savior. We need to be prideful in our Savior for the work that he has done and the work that he will do in our life. Amen? I mean, that's, that's a good thing. We need to be at the state where the only pride, the only thing that I'm boasting in is the fact that Jesus Christ did a great work in me and is doing a great work in me. And it's not my own work. It's him working through me. Some of you guys can relate to this because there's some people that you work with and you're like, the only way that I can be nice to them is because God is working through me. Because if God wasn't working through me, I wouldn't be real nice to him. Some of you guys understand this because you look at it with your kids and you say, hey, there's some of my kids. I don't know if you know my kids, Jordan, or not, but if God wasn't doing a good work through me, they might not make it to tomorrow. 
right? Amen. Can get some amen from some parents. All right, man. And we look at that and we would say, no, when, when I look at something and I say, I did something for someone that I cannot do on my own power. That is when all the thanks and praise go to Jesus Christ. We must eliminate and run from pride of ourselves and get back to that pride of being focused on our king. So let me show you what pride is, and we'll see if we can unpack this a little bit. Go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. It says this. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Proverbs chapter 21, I'm going to bounce back there for just a second. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 4 says this. It says, haunty eyes and a proud heart are the lamp of the wicked and they are sin. That is pride. Anyone who thinks he is something when he is nothing deceives himself, which shows us the first thing that pride is. Now, as we unpack some of these things here this morning, I'm going to use this as a checklist for you. And you can say, am I full of pride or am I not? The first thing that we see that pride is, is pride is praising yourself over glorifying God. And let's just be honest right here this morning. Every single one of us has done this. Amen. Look at your neighbor, say you're to blame. And then you look back at that neighbor and you say, you're to blame too. Because we have all been in a place where we've praised God over, or praised ourselves over glorifying God. This is called self-conceit. It's having an inflated opinion of one's own God-given ability. Promoting self as more powerful or important than Christ is improper ownership of the gift that God has given to us. It's like a little kid taking full credit for building a Christmas present that he was given by his dad. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? A father works tirelessly for three months making a kid's, essentially, let's say, bunk bed, for lack of a better word. And he knows his kid wants his bunk bed, and he works tirelessly on this kid's bunk bed, and he, he gives it to him, and all of a sudden, he shows up on Christmas morning and says, hey, son, look what I built for you. I built this wonderful bunk bed. And he says, Dad, that's awesome. I can't believe I created that myself. That little kid, I don't know how you feel about spankings. He's getting a spanking. Because if I'm the father who built that, I'd look at him and say, how dare you look at that bunk bed and say, you built that when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I built that. But how many times have we been there in our relationship with Jesus Christ where we have said to God the Father, who is the creator and the sustainer of all things, God, look what I did. And he said, are you kidding me? Have you hit your head? That is something I did, not something that you did. Galatians chapter 6 says, for anyone who thinks he is something when he is nothing deceives himself. Church, let me ask you a really open, honest question. Are you deceiving yourself when you think you are greater than you actually are? Proverbs 21 verse 4 says, lofty eyes and a proud heart are the lamp of the wicked, and that is sin. Talented basketball coach John Wooden said, talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be careful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. Talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be grateful. Conceit is self-given. Be 
careful. Church, please, please, please be careful. The world is full of desperate people elevating themselves over their God-given gifts. We talked a little bit about this last week. The humble person, when given a compliment, says thank you. He does not look at that person and say, oh, no, 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 it's not about me. We would see that that person is full of themselves because what they're doing is they're promoting a false humility. The person who understands their God-given gifts looks at it and says, thank you. Praise be to God that my gift elevated God's kingdom for you in your world. That's how we need to approach our spiritual gifts as Christians. My spiritual gifts are from God and they're to be used for three things. These aren't your outline, but I'd probably write them down. My spiritual gifts are for, first of all, the manifestation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that I do as a Christian should point back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jordan, you preached a great sermon on Sunday. Thank you. I hope that it brought you closer to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our whole goal here with everything that we do at Community Gospel Church, that people would be using their spiritual gifts to praise or to make known God and the gift he has given to us. It points back to Jesus Christ. Number two, we would want our spiritual gifts to build up the believer, to build up another. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad you appreciate it. I hope it draws you closer to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that it is encouraging to you today that you know that it is worth it and that you can live the life that God calls you to live. We are here as Christians to build one another up, not tear one another down. Three, we understand that our gifts, I don't have a third one, so cross that out. Sorry, I thought I had three. You'll get over it. Did you take that out of my outline, Jonathan? Just kidding. What we're coming down to in those two things is God must get the praise and ability for the kingdom work. It is not, look what I did. It is, look what God has done. It is not, look what I did. It is, look what God has done. It is not what I did. It is, look what God has done. It's crazy to me to even think about Jonathan leaving. Sometimes I want to look at it and I go, man, I can't believe you're leaving. And and he could have an inflated view of himself. And it's not, you spent four years here and now you're going to go do something else. And I'm so upset And I'm bothered by it. No, we look at it and we go, look at what God has done through you in four years to equip you to be the pastor of a church that desperately needs you. Praise be to God that he will be known and praise be to God that you will build up the believer. We're going to pray the same prayer here at Community Gospel Church that we would build the kingdom of Jesus Christ, glorify God, and eliminate praising ourselves. Number two comes from Matthew. Jump over to Matthew. Matthew, first book of the New Testament. It is good for you to look up passages of Scripture. It will help you. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. Jesus gives in Matthew 23, as you're turning there, seven woes to the scribes and to the Pharisees. He's essentially telling these men um, things that they shouldn't do. We look at verse 4 and we understand that Jesus starts talking about these Pharisees or these religious people. He says, You who are Pharisees tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. You lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move with their finger. They do all kind of deeds to see, be seen by other, for they make their um, policies broad and their, and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue. 
This is the best seats in the synagogue, by the way. Just kidding. Um, he says, and he continues, he says, and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. What is Jesus getting at here in regards to pride? Pride is when we lecture as Christians instead of listen. Pride is when we lecture instead of listen. Let me see if I can unpack that for you just a little bit about what Jesus says. Jesus essentially is bringing up a sin here of self-attention. It's when a person is more apt to communicate his own personal agenda, his insights or viewpoints, instead of focusing on the needs of others. We talked a little bit about this last week. If you were to meet somebody who is really, truly humble, you wouldn't walk away from that conversation going, that person is really, truly humble. If you were to leave somebody who is really, truly humble, what you would leave with is the fact that that person, all they wanted to talk about was you. A truly humble person is somebody who truly is interested in what's going on in your world. On the flip side, somebody who isn't full of pride is the same way. They are not concerned about their own personal agenda, their insights or viewpoints. Instead, they're focused on the needs of others. It's when we would rather talk about somebody else than talk about ourselves. Many, many, many people, and I would challenge you with this this week, Go out to your workplaces and your homes, even with your kids as well as your spouse, and start listening to what they're saying instead of speaking over them. And you will see beyond a shadow of a doubt how much the world loves to talk about themselves instead of listen to the needs of others. As Christians, we are called to eliminate pride so that we can listen to other people instead of lecture into their lives. Devin and I were involved in a conversation with Ed Short. He's a guy from CE National who is helping and looking at coaching, and he's kind of unpacking some things uh, for us to help us in the ministry. And he says, one of the things that you can do as a Christian that will help somebody else out is truly listen to their needs. Understand that they're sharing something with you and wait for the right time to speak into their life. I believe in my life, the most times I've gotten into trouble are the times in which I've jumped the gun and started talking when I should have been listening. And that also comes into play in my relationship with Jesus Christ as I have daily time with him. There are times when I need to stop praying and start listening to what he's saying in the word. There are times where I need to, with my spouse, listen to what she has to say instead of talking over her. There are times with my kids where I need to listen to what's going on in their life and wait for the appropriate time when I can speak into that based on what God's word says. Look, Jesus is doing that with the Pharisees. He has listened to them. If we were to look at verse, or chapter 23 of Matthew, he's listened to them for a long time. He's observed what's going on in their life. And now it has gotten to the time where he starts to unpack what's going on here with the religious people of the world. Another thing that Ed said to me just this past week was, he said, you would be surprised how many Christians in this world understand what they're supposed to do up in their minds, but do not live it out in their fingertips and their feet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ouch. How many times have I been so much more gathered and focused on obtaining what the word says instead of doing what the word says? How many times have I been so adamant to speak about what the word says instead of listening to my brother and sister in crisis? God help me. God help us. Biblical and theological knowledge is always in the Bible used to build one another up. We may not have all the answers to 
the world's questions. We may not have all the answers to our brothers and sisters' questions, but we spend time in God's word to use that so that we can build up somebody else for his kingdom. Look at Ephesians chapter four. It says, it is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Larry Crabb says, we are to be less concerned with what we say and more concerned with how we say it. It's interesting. This happened just uh, this past week. I found myself at a conference on Wednesday with a bunch of men who are older than me. And I know that they're older than me because they wear sport coats. And I came home and I said, Bethany, sport coats are awesome. They make you look awesome. And she goes, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And I said, there are some really awesome sport coats out there. And she goes, Jordan, just, just focus and tell me what they said. And I said, it's interesting. The older guys that I hang out with are more concerned about listening than they are about talking. And they stare at you like this. And it's awkward. And as a young man, I realized, I, I, we need to talk. This is awkward. But what happens is if I am more focused on taking a seat and saying, Jordan, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, listen. It is so enjoyable to be in their presence and to focus on what we're saying instead of focus on just talking. I would encourage you to do that this week. I would encourage you to learn to listen well. Ask questions why. Ask questions how. Ask, I mean, we learned this in school, right? The five questions, who, what, when, where, how, right? Ask those to people. Man, I am struggling with my marriage. Why are you struggling with your marriage? What's going on there? you would be so amazed at how many people can turn on their own light bulbs when given a chance to talk enough. How'd you get there? What's going on in your life? Bethany and I were driving back in the car the other day from a weekend together, and there was an instance that happened. I looked over her, I go, why am I so concerned about what just happened? She goes, I don't know. What's that tell you about yourself? It's a great question. Then we sit for a second and we think about it because The space does not always have to be occupied with words. Did you know in the Jewish culture, when somebody dies, the grieving parties will just sit together and they won't say a thing. They're waiting to learn how to listen well. This is an attitude that isn't of pride. In the Old Testament, I won't make you turn here, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 16 It says uh, from God that the people became stubborn and they wouldn't listen to God's commandments. The people became stubborn and they wouldn't listen to what God has to say. The third thing we see from that verse is that pride is always having to be right. You ever been there? No, not you. Probably somebody you know, though, correct? Probably somebody that you know always has to be right. I hear that all the time. Jordan, he always has to be right. Jordan, she always has to be right. Matter of fact, this is taking place with my kids. They always have to be right. Pride is always having to be right. When we get in the habit of always wanting to be right instead of doing what God wants, we are at the heart of pride because it focuses on ourselves. Whenever I want to be right, it's focused on me and not focused on other people. Whenever I use God's word, it's a burden that is lifted off my shoulders because the Bible oftentimes preaches and teaches to the things in which I am concerned about. And there are times when God says, be patient. I will come out here when I'm ready. The sin of self-justification is when one justifies or excuses oneself for sinful actions. 
I mean, there's some things, and let's just be honest, church, okay, that we are dealing with that are going on in our life that we are justifying. There are sins present in our life that we justify. There are sins that are creeping into our homes and our families, and we justify it. We cannot justify our own sins. Because here's the thing. I don't think always having to be right is a big, or, or let's just say a massive or, or a bigger deal when we are communicating with other people. I think it's a huge deal when we're speaking to ourselves. Because there's so many times where I will read the Bible and I'll look at it and I'll go, God, hmm, no, 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 no. Jordan's way, not your way. Have you ever been there? God, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I do this because and God's like, I don't care. Because we understand Old Testament, New Testament, pride leads to destruction. So the prayer must be, God, help me not to be right. Help you to come in to cleanse and to clean. The devil was walking alongside uh, one of his cohorts. He sees a man up ahead uh, and he picks up something shiny. He says, what did you find? Oh, I found a piece of the truth, the devil replied. Does it bother you that he found a piece of the truth, said the cohort? No, said the devil. I will see to it that he makes a religion out of it. How many things are we participating in that we have made a religion out of that the devil looks at us and says, I love it, keep going. How many things in your life have you justified that the devil looks at and he says, I love it, keep going. How many of the seven woes that we see to the Pharisees, we are participating in practicing as well? And the devil looks at us and says, I love it, keep going. James tells us the man that knows the right thing to do that does not do it is a sin. If you know the right thing to do and do not do it, it is a sin. So how do we overcome that which we know we are not supposed to do? Practice accountability. Put people into your life. Pray to the Lord God. Get out of the situation that makes that thing present eliminate sinful desires is what Paul tells us in our life. Margaret Atwood said, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of gods and gods always come in handy. They justify almost anything. What are the gods that you are serving in your life that are not on par or parallel with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hard, hard, hard thing to do. And those of you who are married, to piggyback off of our marriage uh, series, ask your wife. I'm sure she or he, I'm sure she knows. And ladies, I'm sure your husband knows. But be ready, because it's not always easy to hear the truth. Amen? Not always easy. The very fact that we choose to win an argument at the cost of damaging our relationship points to something that has gone wrong. Being right sidetracks our lives, it blocks our learning. If we are right, now follow this, because I do have three points here. Follow this, and this isn't your outline, but I would write these things down. If we always have to be right, then it must first line up with God's word. If I'm going to be right, okay, quotes around that. If I'm going to be right, it must first and foremost line up with God's word. If it does not line up with God's word, it's not right. If I'm going to do, if, if I'm going to be right, if I'm speaking into somebody's life, if I'm talking to somebody and they've given me the ability to speak into their life, it has to be God's word first. It has to be parallel with that. I would encourage you to read the Proverbs. Spend time in the Proverbs. 
These are wisdom accounts for God's people. First thing is, if I'm going to be right, it has to line up with God's word first. Second, it has to build up the believer. It's got to build them up. Man, how many times would we like to just cut into somebody's life? You're wrong, and God said you're wrong, and since God says you're wrong, you should go live in a hole for seven months. That way I don't have to see your face. And the funny thing is, it's funny, but some people are like, yeah, I understand. That's Ted at work. Like, I would not be unhappy if Ted found his way into a hole for seven months and I didn't have to deal with him. Right? I got to build up the believer. I got to build up. Do you understand that there's so many people in this world who never hear an encouraging word? If you have somebody in your life who, let's say, comes from a troubled marriage, okay? Husband, wife comes from a troubled marriage. Maybe, maybe something's going wrong in their life. You realize they probably never hear an encouraging word from their spouse or their kids. It's our job as Christians to build one another up. Use God's word to build up others. Third thing is, he says that it should manifest or make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm, these are on par or parallel with what we just talked about. See, church, this is, this is a good thing. When we eliminate pride, we have the ability to use God's word. We have the ability to build somebody else up. And we have the ability to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known. How great would it be if somebody looked at you, who you work with, or your kids, and they look at you and they go, my mom and dad, or my coworker, is concerned about God's word first, is concerned about making sure that I am built up, and that they make sure that I know the gospel of Jesus Christ is active and working. I don't know if you've ever met our church secretary, Annette, but she is stupid happy. <laughs> and it does not matter when we walk into the office, we say, man, I can't believe it. Do you think people would do that? And that looks at us, she goes, God must be working in their life. Really, Nat? Think God's working in their life? And the only reason I'm using her today is because she's leaving for a week and I don't have to deal with her this week. <laughs> she would be mad at me right now. But are there people in your life that do that? Because sometimes an encouraging word builds up. And man, it is so nice to know that somebody in God's family is pointing me back to Jesus Christ when I just want to point back to myself. And that's what we need. That's what we need as a church. That's what we need as a family. We need people who just point back to Jesus Christ. Because we live in so much of this controversy, this negativity. Let me show you one more verse this morning. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3, right next to Galatians. You were already there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3. Another letter that helps us see what pride is. Chapter 3, verse 14. Paul and Timothy write, I press on towards the goal for the prize. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. The last thing we see this morning, and let me tell you something, man, we could preach on pride every single week. Uh, when Jonathan sent back the sermon, as I sent it to him, he said, 
I don't know how you did it, but you put all these things of pride into one message. I said, I don't know how I did it either, because I feel like we could spend week after week after week after week on these things. I mean, pride is that prevalent in Scripture. And we see the last thing that in Philippians, what Paul and Timothy are getting to is pride is when we let ourselves win. And how often, church, have we let ourselves win? This is instant gratification. How often do we know the right thing to do and and we do the opposite? Because we want to let ourselves win. It's the sin that says, let me win, instead of the victory belongs to the Lord. We're naturally competitive. But our competition should be for those who are lost. Like our competition should be for those who don't know Jesus Christ. Not earning the glory for ourselves. I love that Paul and Timothy write this passage and they unpack it and they say, I want to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. In other words, they say, we want to be so kingdom minded that we want God to get the victories instead of ourselves. And here's the funny thing. Paul is Timothy's mentor. And can you imagine Timothy looking at Paul going, what? Hold on a second. That doesn't make any sense, Paul. What We get the victory. Like God's given us these gifts and man, we're going to build up the kingdom. And, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Your job as a Christian is to work for God's smile, not for man's favor. And a young Timothy, just like a young pastor, finds that news rewardingly frustrating. Rewardingly frustrating. Because we are working to let Jesus Christ be known and not ourselves. We're working to let God win in the small victories of our life and not ourselves. We're working to let God be glorified in our marriages and not ourselves. We're working to let our kids have the ability to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and cling to those things and not ourselves. Because let me tell you something, there's a lot of times when I look down at my kids and I think, man, I want you to become great for the kingdom of God so that people will know that your dad was Jordan Muck. how stupid, right? Bethany and I, we looked the other day and we said there's six billion people in the world today. How many of those are lost and going to hell? And how many times do I just want the glory? I just want the fame. What? Seriously? We can't let ourselves win. We have to let God win. And let me tell you something. The definition of integrity is doing the right thing when nobody is looking. And the glory belonging to the Lord starts when you let him win when nobody else is looking. Church, would you do that this week? Would you let God win when nobody is looking and praise him when it happens? Men who are addicted to pornography, when you get in that position and you let God win and not yourself, would you go outside and praise his name and scream it? Ladies who struggle with emotional insecurity, when you let God win and you see yourselves as a Proverbs 31 woman that God runs after and desires, would you scream it outside so that people can hear it? Would you scream it so loud that you let God win and how glorified he is when that happens? C.S. Lewis said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. 
The psalmist says, victory belongs to the Lord. God has to get the credit for the win instead of asking for what we deserve. How many times have we done that? God, I deserve this. I don't think you understand, God, but I'm not only Kareen and Gianna's dad, I'm Bethany's husband. Have you not heard these truths? And he's like, Jordan, like he speaks to Job, have you not heard that I created the world? Where were you? Where were you when these things happened? That is a humbling moment. We must give all credit, all glory, all honor to God who went the distance for us. He went the distance for you. He went the distance for me. He went the distance for our church so that he would be glorified. Glorified. So that he would be honored. So he would be praised. And so we look at this and we realize, we realize if God is not winning, then his people have to start praying. They have to start letting him win in the quiet pockets of their life so that he can win in the public pockets of their life so that he can win so that he gets the praise and the honor and the glory. And so that we look at it, we go, man, you are a good God. You work through us regardless of our differences. You work through us regardless of our conflicts. You work through us regardless of the things that we put in your way. You can overcome any roadblock. You can overcome any adversity because you're a good God and you deserve to win more than I deserve to win. So let's work this week, okay? Help me because I'm, I'm working on these things. Am I there yet? Not even close. These things creep up in my life all the time. But help me and let's work together as a church to do these things. Let's eliminate pride. How do we do that? Number one, we need to first and foremost praise God that he has given us a gifting instead of exalting ourselves. Praise God, give him the praise that he deserves, shout it from the rooftops that he's given you a gift, but don't exalt yourself in that gift. Secondly, listen to others instead of lecture. This week, your assignment, I dare you to listen to somebody and ask the five why questions. And tell me honestly, if you did not walk out of that conversation more fulfilled than the person who was speaking. It is awesome to sit in a conversation and just ask somebody those questions. And let me tell you what, I'm a great talker, horrible listener. And so there are times in those conversations where I'm constantly telling myself, Jordan, don't talk. Jordan, don't talk. Jordan, don't talk. Just listen, 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 listen. Make eye contact with them. Focus on what they're saying. Make sure you're, you're paying attention to what they're saying. Man, you just said this. Why did you say this? You just said that. Why did you say that? Where does that come from? What's going on in your life? Ask good questions to people. Listen well. Three, avoid always having to be right. For goodness sakes, maybe one time in your life, don't be right. In your marriages, look at it. How, how many times are you having to get the win so that you can get the win? I, I've talked to so many people and they're like, Jordan, we had an argument, we had a, we had a confrontation, we had a, we had a problem and, and I just wanted to win. And I said, did you tell her that? No. Tell her that. See what happens. I just wanted to win. I know. Right? You don't always have to be right. You just have to let God win. And let's focus on that this week. Let God win in the quiet pockets of your life and let God win in the public pockets of your life. Let him win. Give up. I surrender. There's an old hymn. My dad loves it. And it says, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. 
I surrender all. Did you sing that to yourself this week? All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. You're a great God. You do great things in the hearts and the lives of the people who are present here. I pray that you would do a great work in them, that they would take these principles and they would uh, wrestle with them just as I'm wrestling with them, and that we would work on this together. We understand that this is a community. All these people who are here are working diligently to make your son Jesus Christ known, and we understand to do that well, we have to really make your son known within ourselves. God, there's been so many times where I've been defensive and I've had my hands up and people have come into my life and I've seen them as the enemy when all they wanted to do was help. And so, Lord, uh, first and foremost, in the life of, of your servant, I pray that you help me to drop my hands and to surrender. To surrender to your truths that are presented in your word, to surrender to the voices of your people who are speaking diligently for not only my best, but for your best. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would surround this community, that there wouldn't be any hint of pride within us, that we would focus on being humble servants running hard after you, that we would let you win in those small pockets, that you would get the win when nobody else is looking that you would get the win when the world is watching so that your word is known, so that the believer is built up, and so that the gospel of Jesus Christ is known. You're a great God. We love you so much. If you believe that is true, would you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.